Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. Patriots Against CPS Corruption invites you to attend our march for Texas children. DFPS has failed the families of Texas. The Texas Special Committee on DFPS has also failed to hear the parents and the children. Time to make our voices heard. Surround yourself with those on the same mission as you. Join us on the march for our children, September 21st, 2022, starting at 1 p.m. at 701 West 51st Street, Austin, Texas, 78751. I've got a brand new guest on. Her name is Maureen Meadows. She was actually a family law attorney from 1999 to 2003, when she left the practice to be a full-time homemaker and mother of her two. Her experience as a litigant from 2017 to present time in Georgia has given her a firsthand experience from the other side of the perfect storm of family court, corruption, and all the players in the government and the legal profession that supports it. I welcome you to the show. Maureen, how are you doing today? Fine, thank you. Um, Every day is hard as so many people know, but Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad to be here. I think it's so important that we get the message out and I appreciate so much what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you're here too, to explain to people what is really going on. Some people have no idea what goes on behind the closed doors of family court. Yes, I... (laughs) I mean, I'm not there, so I can only infer from the outside what's going on behind the closed doors, but whatever it is, the safeguards that should be in place and on the books often are in place to make sure that we're protected are not being used. Mm -hmm. There's... See, parents think they're going in there and justice is going to be served. They're going, they're thinking, well, the judge is fair. There's, you know, it's all going to be fair in the courthouse because we were raised to think that way. However, that's not the case. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I'm a big fan of true crime and it's a good distraction for me from Um, my own thoughts, which I have to be distracted from these days. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes get frustrated when I hear court actors, prosecutors, and everything talk about justice. And I think, why wasn't it there for me? Why wasn't it there for her? What's going on? And I hope it exists in other places, but I know it doesn't exist in my trial court for me. And appealing is, it requires a lot of cooperation from people Mm -hmm. to be successfully appeal. It requires a lot of money and you can't Mm -hmm. appeal yourself, but after what I've been through, I just don't have the ability anymore. Mm -hmm. So um our trial courts are so important they mm-hmm. really are and the bias of some judges where 
they don't seem to like family law litigants. And so the person who is coming in and saying something needs to be done, something needs to change. I wonder mm -hmm. if some of them are just so biased that they just get angry with the person who's asking for relief. Yeah, I wonder that too. You know, especially when they're representing themselves. Even when they have attorneys. I, I know a woman who stayed at my home for a few weeks last August, and she had to come because her um, her ex who lived in Georgia had convinced the kids to do an election to live with him. They had been divorced for a number of years and the kids were much, they were small children when the divorce happened. So they didn't know him that well. They knew him as a, um, I think as just a summer vacation dad mm -hmm. at, he had remarried and he asked if they would elect to come live with him and their mother lived across the country with her new husband at that point and they were happy there but they thought that would be a fine thing to try and hmm. so they did and it just went sour very quickly um he was drinking a lot he was at a certain point they had, um, I'm not gonna get this story right, but I know by the end of this, he had video cameras in every public space of the house and he was giving them the sense of being monitored 24 seven. And from what I remember, he would tell the court that he had to keep an eye on them for safety because his daughter had become suicidally depressed and um, was hurting herself and um, Child Protective Services would get involved in that case and had to remove her at least once, but they didn't stay involved because it was in family court because when the kids wanted to move back to moms and needed to move back to moms, mom filed a modification. And from what she told me, the judge was so hostile to her that you know this evidence was going into the court and it was being completely ignored the psychologist for the daughter all these things that i'm describing mm -hmm. him allowing the kids to leave for their scheduled parenting time with her in washington state and they had a hearing where a lot of this was put up a temporary hearing for it was right before spring break. And the judge said, well, the, the kids will go to mom for spring break and I'll issue my ruling when they come back to, you know, after spring break is over, but she didn't. She didn't issue it. And then it was so bad that the mom just said, well, they're just gonna come for the summer and not go back to Georgia because their situation is so critical. Mm -hmm. And at the end of summer, for us, which is early August is when these kids go back to school here, the judge said, you know, have the kids in their high school by Monday or Tuesday, or I'm going to issue an arrest order. 
So the kids, mm -hmm. and she and her son from her second marriage had to travel to Georgia on 24 hours notice. And, and this was the kicker. They were here for two or three weeks and they had been promised a final trial on the modification. And that day came and the judge didn't show up, just blew it off. And I really should go see what ended up happening, but I know the kids didn't come back. But mm. I mean, I think they went back to Washington state, but this is just, it's just epidemic. And she had an attorney, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Now, why did this happen? Did this happen because, you know, because they just like fathers better? Does it happen because father has more money? Does it happen because, um, you know, some of these really bad guys, maybe, maybe they're doing something downright illegal to influence these judges. If they're really behaving without regard for other people's rights, maybe they're involved in extortion or bribery, but we don't know. All we know is these rulings don't make sense and this behavior doesn't make sense and it's breaching the public trust. Exactly, you know, and like I said earlier, the public trusts what these judges are going to do and the right thing. And the judge you're talking about didn't even show up. Didn't, yeah, didn't even show up. Cost that family, you know, thousands, thousands mm. of dollars. You don't buy plane tickets last minute from Washington State, rent a car, you know, rent an Airbnb. They stayed with me for a while and then they went to an Airbnb just so everybody wasn't, you know, in the same space getting on each other's nerves. Well, they were incredibly stressed. This mm. is stressful. And then she didn't show up. And I had my own problem with my trial judge. Um, once you're assigned to a trial judge, in most jurisdictions, you can't get rid of them. No. Even, even after, even when their initial ruling is dysfunctional for the family, like in an original divorce, when you get a modification action filed by either of the parties, it's going to be looked at by the same judge. <laughs> and the rules of evidence that are that do apply, the laws of evidence that do literally apply to family court actions because they are court actions, they're lawsuits, they probably get thrown out the window all the time because the judges, whatever mistakes they made the first time, are they going to admit to themselves that they made those mistakes? In my case, the judge never even gave me an evidentiary hearing in the modification that my ex filed about six or seven months after, maybe less, after the divorce ruling came out. And so I did not get another evidentiary hearing in that court since October of 2019. 
So modification action was filed in the summer of 2020. Had to hire more attorneys, had to lose more assets, paying attorney fees. And mm -hmm. I believed that I would get the best interest hearing that the legislature has deemed required by law when you file a modification of custody action. Did I get it? No. And that is a blow that I am still trying to process. And that happened in February, end of February of 2022. The judge closed a modification action that my ex started in summer of 2020. I had not had a single hour of parenting time with my son since then and I did not get a trial I got a trial order basically without a trial which we often call a final hearing here but mm -hmm. it's a trial and the case law says that in these custody actions they can't the judges can't even consider evidence from a previous temporary hearing in that modification of custody because it's not subject to the stringent evidentiary rules of a trial. You know, we get more hearsay mm -hmm. in Georgia in a temporary hearing, you get more hearsay, um, you only get one witness. So it's a little different, but I didn't even get one of those. I got a non-evidentiary emergency hearing I think before I was even served because it had been a couple of months and I did not have my son's phone number. I had been shut out of the school computer and I was the primary custodian. And I had been for my children's whole life. I do have a daughter who is still with me and is about to start college and in fact goes for her orientation today. Mm. So that's a blessing, but I miss mm -hmm. my and who we used to be every day because I don't know who he is now. Now, are you able to talk to him on the phone or did no. the judge? No, oh. he, he won't talk to me. Um, he slowly, not so slowly. I mean, when he first left, I was kind of in shock. And um, and figured he'd change his mind. I didn't quite realize the extent of the all all I can say is my daughter did try to see him two or three times after he moved over to his dad's. This was not a normal move. He did not come home on the weekends. He did not. Hmm treat me with respect. He went from acting like, I mean, he never brought up anything to talk about. He, we did talk sometimes about the stress we were under, but he didn't say, he didn't talk to me about this. Like, I want to go live with dad at his new girlfriend's. I don't want, I want to, um, you know, he didn't talk to me about it. He just, hmm. 
left for what my ex had noticed as a two week summer vacation period of parenting time. And that was it. Within a few hours, my daughter was screaming because I had gotten this email and I said, Reed's not coming back. And she was screaming mm. and crying and it was awful. And mm. um, he had signed this affidavit of election, which in Georgia is not controlling. It's still subject to a best interest analysis, but it gets you in the door as a changed circumstance. And he had signed this, um, from what I recall, it said, talked about loving and respecting me and wanting to see me, but that he just preferred to live with his dad. But that wasn't, that wasn't the message he sent me within a few hours of, of executing it. The message was, I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to talk to you. And with my daughter, she did try to visit with him, but it was too stressful for her because when he saw her, he was feeding her things about me that she knew were untrue. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I, I've been through, I've been through so many years of people saying things about me that are just not true. Mm -hmm. My ex, the guardians, the judge, the police, <laughs> mm. um, and to have my son start is just so tragic. Mm -hmm. And the and the family court is supposed to be there to protect us from this. The goal of government is not supposed to be to cement the destruction of families and family ties. I certainly went through, you know, the parental alienation playbook during the divorce and nobody was being alienated. Mm -hmm. They weren't. I had always been the primary caregiver of these kids because my ex was an attorney and worked very long hours and apparently was also playing for very long hours. And so the kids, I was you know, we three were a unit that was together a lot of the time. And not that they didn't enjoy their time with their dad and not that I didn't talk up their dad when he wasn't there and explain to them how important he was to his clients and what an important role he had. And this is why, you know, he had to go out to dinner without us or whatever, mm -hmm. or on this business trip or So I've just been through the ringer and I don't mm -hmm. know why the judge was not able to keep the evidence straight, but in the fall of 2020, when we went in on that emergency non-evidentiary hearing, she started out the hearing, well, not the hearing part because it wasn't really a hearing. I didn't get to testify, I didn't get to talk. It was only dealing with dead on emergency issues. And the first thing she did before it started was tell my attorney that there was something wrong with me 
this was a, a slightly cheaper attorney than I had had during the divorce. Mm-hmm. Because on paper, I still, even though they'd taken the house, I, I still owed more money than, you know, they, they weren't going to do any more work. Um, and the judge said to my, to my modification attorney, who was also handling a false stocking petition against me, that my ex filed the first court date after my son was due back under the divorce decree from that two week summer vacation. The judge told my attorney that I had taken my daughter to an urgent care facility in Florida one time because she was cold and there was something wrong with me. The judge just didn't know what. And I'll tell you, (laughs) at that point, there was something wrong with me. I'd been lied about for Mm -hmm. a year to hurt my children Mm -hmm. right in front of me. You know, when these false allegations are flying from so many different people and the goal of them is to determine your children's lives, to determine your children's possibility of a sane home. This is why we are getting complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, I agree. Anybody who was subject, when you think about people who have been cyber bullied, Now, of course, this isn't cyberbullying. This is completely protected, privileged behavior. If you're lying about people in pleadings, if you're lying about people on the stand, if you're lying about people and you're, you know, or you're conveying lies about people, wherever they came from, mistake or otherwise, and you're a guardian ad litem, you have complete privilege. But how is the effect any different? on the person who's on the receiving end. And how how do we expect that a parent who really loves their kid or their kids and their family can get through this without being absolutely traumatized because you always feel like a nuclear bomb is about to go off and Mm -hmm. you're always playing catch up. I have a really hard time with paper now. <laughs> this is one reason. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, and this is not me. I, it's not just me because there was another mom probably on Twitter or something who said, is anybody else kind of afraid of paper now? And it's like, hi, I've developed bizarre neuroses because mm-hmm years of litigation abuse and you know I I just I spent so many years receiving a false allegation having to go grab paper to prove that it was false it would or would not be used in court it would you know it would or would not be paid attention to and I I'm going to say almost 100% not paid attention to because whoever was supposed to be noticing that the things that were being said about me were false and that that might have a bearing on my children's best interests was 
either not noticing or intentionally, and maybe some of the cases, pushing it under the rug. Mm -hmm. But when I found out that my son and my daughter, because I had wanted her best interest to be reviewed in terms of decision-making, when I found out that I was not, my son was not going to get a best interest hearing, it was devastating. Mm -hmm. And I had filed a JQC complaint, which is our Judicial Qualifications Commission. I had filed one before that ruling came out. I don't know if that office leaked or if the judge just decided it would be time to issue a ruling. I don't know. But I had been very afraid to file that JQC complaint. I encourage people to do it. But as one attorney um, in Georgia who is fighting for a better systems said, you have to do these things and assume that it will make absolutely no difference. Mm -hmm. But that the act of filing it is what is important to get it, you know, be, to be able to show that you did it. Um, you know, could you explain what JQC means? Well, most states have a an organization that disciplines judges that decides whether they must be removed from the bench. Um, it can be in Georgia, it can be anything from, you know, I, I'd have, I'm sure that it's available on their website, but something from a private discussion with them about things they need to do better, all the way to removing them from the bench. And in some cases, referring them for prosecution. Mm. And um, in Georgia, we call that the Judicial Qualifications Commission. And um, I believe it's 100% taxpayer funded. Mm -hmm. um, it is the smallest investigative, I was told it was the smallest investigatory um, agency in Georgia. And You know, I don't know how they I don't know how they make their decisions, but they were given an awful lot of information that I thought would result in some action in my case, in my complaint. And especially after she issued a final order in the modification action in February without a single evidentiary hearing. And yet, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I didn't read the letter all the way through because sometimes I just can't read this stuff. I got to the part about custody being judicial discretion and I just skimmed the rest because it's not judicial discretion to pull evidence out of the air. It's judicial discretion after you've heard evidence according to the law meaning it has to be a hearing. <laughs> right. I, I don't know how else it could not require a hearing because affidavits have to be subject to cross, you know, to cross-examination. Um, it just, 
my mind is still blown mm -hmm. that the in my case did nothing and um there is a petition link that i hope marianne can put under this podcast link to mm -hmm. a petition asking the JQC to basically follow its mission and not push things under the rug for whatever reason this was pushed under the rug. So. I can definitely put that in the podcast notes. Um, I don't know if I have the link. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll send it. I'll send it to you. Okay. Yeah, it seems when people make complaints, at least what I'm getting back is nothing is unethical enough to do anything with these people. Yeah. And maybe part of it is that the kind of the kind of situations where things go so badly off the rails often involve a powerful litigant and a litigant who does not have any juice and so one explanation for some of it is that our system is moving at an uncomfortable pace toward an oligarchy if it wasn't always and this is this should be a huge concern for everyone <laughs> i i we are supposed to be a country where we have a rule of law and if court actors under color of law are depriving people of due process it should be a very very concerning event mm -hmm. but when some of us go and report this to the places that are supposed to take the reports the JQC, the Department of Justice, FBI, GBI, local law enforcement, you know, U.S. Postal Inspectors, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody that you can possibly report this stuff to, there's not a response, mm -hmm. you know, so... Yeah, we I'm trial courts can be a myth. They can't be a myth fueled by fantasy and law and order reruns. And then you go in there and you've mortgaged your house or you've, mm -hmm. you know, said, well, hell, I'm throwing my financial security away because I need to protect my kids or whatever. And, and it turns out that your confidence has been misplaced. In fact, one of the, in issuing the ruling that I, if I remember properly, in issuing a ruling that I, as a sick former homemaker, had to pay some of my ex's attorney fees, the judge complained that I had said on the stand that something about not um, having faith in the judicial system. 
<laughs> I threw quite the ringer by the time I got up on the stand for the trial. And, um, and I, I don't think that's something that is a punishable offense saying that. I really don't mm -hmm. think it should be. But one right. of the things about, about judges is that if you are an active licensed attorney, you can't speak against them. You can be punished by the bar for doing that because it'll undermine the, confident, the confidence of the public in the judicial system. <laughs> so here we are. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no accountability. And I saw that in my case. There just is no accountability. The other party can do what they want and you can try to go after them for contempt, but the judge gives them a slap on the wrist. Yeah, I never even saw any wrist slapping. Yeah, um, right. But uh... yeah, people need to be aware that you're going to go in there and possibly lose everything and um, justice will not be done. And we don't have other options. Right. Even sitting in the place where I sit now, where I have come to understand what I think I've come to understand and I've seen how all these players are incentivized. I don't know what I could have done differently in my own particular situation. I could have, I could have settled very quickly with my ex, but I don't know that that would have stopped the litigation. I don't see that as even if if I had, and he had just given me, I mean, the kids were 12 and 13 when he moved out. Um, I, I don't, I just don't believe that peace would have been long lasting. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else there is. So I think we absolutely have to have functioning trial courts Attorneys who take their ethics seriously, judges who take their role seriously, police who enforce the laws against things like perjury and witness tampering separately from judicial referral. These are actual criminal laws. They should be enforced. They're felonies in almost all states, I'm sure. And you know, guardian ad litems who are not so financially incentivized to drag things out to mm -hmm. side with the least safe parent because that will inflame the litigation or to side with the most, um, the most well-heeled parent because they will be able to make divorce referrals to the guardians from their well-heeled friends or whatever it takes to have a 
system in place where the players are incentivized to get it right, to not deprive anybody of a relationship with their child, to not um, have the kids be controlled by the person, their medical decisions, their educational decisions, be controlled by the person with the least information and the worst judgment. And, and, the, and when there are crimes committed, they need to be swiftly dealt with. Mm -hmm. I do not see any benefit to the litigants, to the public of having judges who do not take harsh actions against people who are lying in family court, lying to guardians. You know, I just trying to mislead the court. I think from the get-go that has to be slapped down very hard because that will shorten things up. If a lawyer has a client who can't stop doing this because they are, you know, off the rails, mm -hmm. paranoid, delusional, whatever, they will be incentivized to get their client out of the litigation no matter how it has to be done. Can you see any reason to... I mean, I'm not saying throw a parent in jail for telling like a single lie under stress. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, why shouldn't there be some consequence? You mm -hmm. know, you're all fine the first time because you're costing the other side money mm -hmm. because the other side is having to, is getting on the crazy town wheel mm -hmm of litigating something that's not even in the realm of true. And, and yet, you know, in family court, la da da. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what could possibly be, again, I'm not saying throw somebody in jail <laughs> the first time they do something because I mean, we don't have enough jail space for that, I guess, but like, let's, you know, let's show them that if they keep doing it, it's not going to end well, you know, mm -hmm. and keep accelerating the penalty instead of creating these super criminals out of people who realize that they can do anything they want forever and nothing will happen to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they become more emboldened when they know nothing's going to happen or their attorney may be friends with the judge and they're getting everything they want anyway. Yeah. And what I saw was every time I thought somebody had crossed the line and that finally it was going to stop because it's now looking super absurd. It was just double down time. You know, we'll just double down. So, yeah, I mean, what I saw was just no accountability whatsoever. Um, children handed over to um, the opposing party without, you know, and like you said, with the false allegation, you know, they're calling you crazy 
or they're calling CPS after you for a false indication that you have to fight and clear your name of thinking you're going to get your kids back. Yet the judge will carry on the false narrative of that indication. Mm -hmm. And once these judges, if you have a judge that's not going to be responsive to Mm -hmm. the facts, that's not going to be responsive to the best interests of your kids, here's what else happens. If you call Child Protective Services and your child is not in immediate critical danger, but is being emotionally abused or being medically neglected or some of the other things that do not, and I don't mean medically neglected, like they've broken their leg and you know, are lying in the middle of their bedroom and nobody's there to take them to the hospital. I mean, you know, um, like your child is supposed to be in therapy and the new custodial parent who should never have been put in control of this stuff won't take them to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of things that you frequently see people losing their kids for in the non-family court context. Um, this is won't even respond. Mm-hmm. And I was told by the office of the child advocate they won't if it's a, if it's between parents. They just want you to go to family court. And when I was talking about that mom who came and stayed with me for a few weeks, uh, waiting for that trial, um, something had happened. I don't I don't remember what and her. Um, I think one of her kids had, had reached out to the school and they had contacted Child Protective Services, which is called DFACS here in Georgia, mm-hmm. Family and Children's Services. And so they did open an investigation because this is a family that even though they were in family court, the situation had risen to a level where they had gotten involved and they had temporarily removed um, the kids at least once, but it never lasted because family court. And the caseworker came over and met with the mom. And I, I remember the mom saying that the caseworker just shook her head, looked at all her evidence, looked at the doctor reports, looked at the psychological report, looked at the photos, and just shook her head and said, What's wrong with these judges? Mm-hmm. And this was a week or two before the judge just didn't show up for the final hearing in that modification. Just didn't show. And I don't know how that's any different from my judge just closing it without a hearing, which Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to do. And the JQC just judicial discretion. No, geez. Mm -hmm. There's multiple canons that say Everybody has a right to be heard. Judges mm-hmm. have to hear the cases that they're given. And yet, one of the things that we have to overcome when we try to tell the story to the public, all of us that are going through these kind of things, are, well, the mom must have done something to deserve it. Or, surely that's a mistake. Surely the mom just doesn't understand the legal process. Surely that couldn't have happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I had one attorney who's clearly not in family law tell me that the evidence was really heard in the divorce. So it was already heard. So that was why the judge was entitled to issue a final hearing without a single evidentiary hearing in the modification. And I'm thinking, well, except that to the extent that took place, I was made primary custodian. (laughs) The reason I was made primary custodian might have been because at that time, my ex did not want to be primary custodian, but you know, but that's not legally true. And I doubt it's legally true in any state unless there's a state that has a very strong um, election for teenagers over a certain age. But even in the Georgia election laws before I think 2008, where an election of a teenager 14 and over was presumptive you got to have a trial to show if the other parent was unfit. It was mm-hmm. never unchallenged. It is not an automatic thing where you just go and file the election and then, you know, everybody goes on as if they've agreed. And so. Nobody's watching the family courts. The family courts, once they get a hold of a family, it carries through from case to case. If you have a parent who feels that they have the facts where they need to protect their children from bad judgment, mental illness, whatever, you have constant litigation. Everybody's going broke. Um, Guardians are not doing their jobs often because they're incentivized not to do their jobs or because of whatever reason and you know you cannot get often the police are not taking crimes seriously and saying that the family court will handle it um giving the judges power to almost immunize people from crime family services will have a policy not to open an investigation, not to look, even when there's no litigation pending. Because go to family court. And the, you know, the children, the children just lose. They lose, in my case, siblings have lost all contact with each other. Um, Parents have lost contact with the child. No, and this will affect many generations coming down the pike. We have to do something if we care about our kids. That's the thing. It's like I had so many people tell me, just walk away, stop mm-hmm. thinking about it, move on with your life. My life is always going to be my children. Is this the mm-hmm. world? Now that my the blinders have been taken off, is this the world that I want to hand my kids? So don't ask me to be silent Mm -hmm. and don't ask me, even if I could Mm. stop thinking about 
what's happened. Mm-hmm. That just, so we're, that's like leading the next person to slaughter. And I hope that, I really hope that with this FX series, especially the first episode, I know that it gets complicated later. It gets complicated as to what the, um, oh, I can't remember her name right now, but what's her name? Bobby, the, do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Uh, You're talking about the Hulu series called Children of the Underground? I am. And, but the first episode is like, is is what is decades old what we've we're going through right now it is Mm -hmm. you know it it doesn't have to be sexual abuse it really it can be anything but you have a situation where you know the the mom has proof that there's abuse Mm-hmm. that there's sexual abuse in the situation of the children of the underground series and of that movement. And that, that I understand is still going on today at a different level. And, um, and, and the moms go to family court and find out that, you know, that, that the control of their child's just going to be handed to the abuser. They go to the police mm-hmm. and the police say, no, no family court. I'm like, we don't want to investigate it. We don't want to deal with it. The judge will handle it. Well, what training do these judges have? You know, and what litmus Mm -hmm. test for integrity do these judges go through? In my state, they're elected. They're politicians. Yeah. You know, it was when I was going through my family court issues, you know, the judge would order visitation. So I, my father and I would go to pick up the kids, but the lights were on and no one was home. So then we went to the state police and they would make a phone call and the DA on call would say, well, we really can't do anything because they are in, in family court and there's a case going. Okay. <laughs> And, and this guy blew off three judges' orders with no slap on the wrist. Yeah, no rule of law. No rule of law. And, you know, I think the first, um, the first order after my son disappeared out of the emergency hearing said that um, he and I were to get therapy. Now, there was no evidence presented that I was doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. none just this affidavit of election saying he wanted to live with dad but you know that he still loved and respected me there's so she issues this and i and i probably said either return him or give us therapy you know but i didn't get him back to rebuild the relationship i hadn't he hadn't been home in months and the judge's order said that therapy was supposed to start within two weeks um so that would have been mid-october of 2020 and here's the protocol for picking out a therapist i think it was i would give my ex at least three names and he would pick one and that therapy was supposed to continue 
for at least three months and is recommended by the therapist. Um, I got maybe two months with my son and it, I didn't even get to see him on Zoom, which is how therapy took place until I think it was the last day of February of 2021 because the judge issued this ruling verbally. The attorneys all took notes, um, but nothing written was produced until January of 2021. And until something was in writing, my ex refused to pick a therapist and <sighs> would not allow therapy to go forward. Um, and I don't know how anybody can think that's in a kid's best interest, but mm -hmm. that's, you know, I don't, I don't think that. And what is, what is funny is that in the divorce, the kids were not alienated from him in the divorce. Mm -hmm. And yet he was, he asked his, his attorney asked in, in I think closing arguments and must've put it on the proposed trial order that he have therapy with the daughter, with our daughter. She became alienated from him a few months after the divorce, when he told her, this is from what she told me, I didn't pry, but she told me, um, dad said he never wanted us to lose our house. And, you know, she didn't think that was true. And she was angry. Mm -hmm. um, my son heard the same message separately on a different visit than when he was alone. And he took it the other way and um by making sure that I don't have contact with him that is parental I rarely get to talk with him on the phone maybe I'm trying to think I talked to him maybe in April or May and I don't know how long it had been before that maybe a year before that my ex pulled him out of therapy against the order. And that was that. The judge wouldn't enforce the order when begged to give me therapy to give us, you know, to move him back so I could rebuild my relationship with him. She issued a bizarre ruling that um, saying I'm denying mother's request for relief. And <laughs> parties have been litigious and the money spent on litigation will be best spent on therapy for all the parties. Well, guess who's the only one going? Mm. That would be the movement. The movement is the only one going, you know, my ex did not ever seek therapy with his daughter. Um, he has stopped my son from having therapy with me instead of enforcing that order. And the way that the visitation said was that I would have visitation with my son like when the therapist recommended it as if there was any reason for me not to have it to begin with and I don't think the therapist was provided with that order but I wasn't trying to have chaos this is a 15 year old mm -hmm. was I guess 16 by then but yeah, there's no way because, you know, if the judge won't, if the judge 
is perfectly fine for whatever reason with your family being torn apart, what are you going to do? You know, you know, some people say, well, you know, they need more training. <laughs> what on being human? You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I did hear my judge on a podcast say something about custody situations when the parents just can't pull it together for the sake of the children. And regardless of any corruption that one could infer from some of the things that have happened, I think that it is, it does tend to be a belief of some of the players, including the judges, that people are, you know, that it takes two to tango, that, um, you know, the whole thing of labeling us high conflict. Mm -hmm. We're not high conflict. We're protective and dysfunctional. You have protective parent, you have dysfunctional parent. And maybe in a case where the dysfunction is just a, is just a little bit in the you know and you know maybe it will work out if they shut us out and say just deal with it but when the dysfunction is off the charts it's it's not it's not both parties fault when one parent is lying about the other over and over and over and over. They are not even trying to do anything but win or they need to have treatment. Mm -hmm. And without the judge taking this firmly in hand, at first referring it to law enforcement if it gets to be too extreme because this almost always involves felonies against the court felonies against the judicial system. The victim is the state. The state is paying for this. The taxpayers are paying for this courthouse or paying this judge's salary. And it is being wasted because whenever somebody is involved in perjury, witness tampering, filing um, false medical records, filing false affidavits, witness tampering, it is such a waste of both the protective parent and the taxpayer. And I don't know why it is allowed to go on as I'm sure you firsthand experienced mm -hmm. and it can be completely one-sided and mm -hmm. sanity will never step in. Certainly hasn't stepped in for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the judge in both the divorce trial and in the non-evidentiary emergency hearing, which is the only hearing I got out of that court after that, said in both of those, something along the lines of, you will never convince me that both parties don't love their children. And I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. know what to say so I'm really glad you came on to talk about this um, I'm sure this will help a lot of people you know, understand the court system 
because there is go ahead no i was just thanking you i really appreciate letting me be on i know we have a lot more topics to go through on different episodes because i've just Mm -hmm. been the playbook the storm yes and and i was going to say i would like to have you come back on as well thank you and please i hope everybody will sign the change petition that'll be linked. It is, um, if you want to Google it, it is a petition to um, Chuck Goger and of the JQC in Georgia. And it matters for other states too, because even if you're listening to this in Idaho or Hawaii, our states give full faith and credit to the orders of other states, mm-hmm. to the orders of other countries. Other countries give full faith and credit to the orders here. I mean, my my son is currently off in Utah, and um, you know, if I had to go out and help him with something, which I imagine I won't, but um, he would be they would be using the Georgia court order. So even mm-hmm. if you are not in Georgia, we have to have a functioning JQC here. We have to have functioning family courts. Georgia needs South Carolina, needs Michigan, needs Nevada to have functional family courts. It is not a single state issue. These orders cross state lines and they affect your community. These are And, and the children who come out of these proceedings are gonna move from state to state and whatever damage that they have moves from state to state. So mm-hmm. if you could sign the petition, please work on your own courts, please work on the integrity of your judicial governing bodies. Please pay attention to who's elected, how people get appointed to be judge you know, Mm -hmm. and advocate for your neighbors, because I guarantee you there's somebody in your community who's gone through something like this. Mm -hmm. You know, if people want to reach you, if they have any questions and want to contact you, how would you like to be reached? They can um, just email me maureenmeadows at gmail.com. Okay. Well, don't jump off. Uh, Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with the Marine Meadows in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you again, Marine. Thank you.